titled this sermon, The Upper Room. The Upper Room. Uh, I want us to look at the story of Jesus leading up to resurrection. This is Mark 14 that we're looking at. And so this is what Jesus did the last hours that he spent before he would be betrayed and he would be arrested and he would be taken before the Sanhedrin and the courts and Peter would deny him. All of this happens in Mark 14. But what, how does he spend his last hours with the disciples in the upper room? And so this is what I want us to look at and look at the story and what did Jesus do so that we can see for us today how we can prepare to, and, and they prepared in these ways. They prepared with communion and fellowship, and they prepared with worship. They worshiped together, and then they went off to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they prayed. So, so as we prepare to gather as a church, I want us to see how Jesus spent his last hours and how we can prepare through communion, worship, and prayer. And my goal by the end of this sermon is that the story of Jesus, we would see how he prepared and how it'll help us to prepare, not only to set aside a place to gather and make time and space for God as a corporate body, but also how it will, it'll, it'll push us into the mission of God, right? If you don't know, we have a mission statement. It's, in our four, it's on our four-year wall out there. It says, we are on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. And, and this, is, this is what we're, everything we do has to be about people who don't know Jesus making a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we've seen a lot of people come to the Lord recently and a lot of people getting baptized and we've seen a lot of people taking steps of faith and we've seen people giving, recommitted, recommitting their lives to God. And we have all these different ways around our church. I'm the discipleship pastor that, that we're, we're discipling. It goes beyond just even the things that I do when, we, when we're serving and all the different ministries. They're all built around this, this key concept of the mission of God. Jesus gave a mission for you and I. We are, we are uh, ambassadors of Christ. We are a royal priesthood. He's called us to be people that would go and change the world. He's called us to be people who would steward the presence of God and bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen? This is what we're called to. So as we look at this story, I want us to keep this in mind that it's for a reason. God has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for this mission of seeing lost people saved. Before I get into that, uh, uh, before we get into the scripture, I was thinking about the gathering because we're talking about how to prepare in the gathering. And I was thinking about church and just praying through it. And I started to remember like when I was really little, what was it like for me and why did I love church? Why did, why did I love going to church as a little, as a, as a child? And I can remember the music, and I remember loving going. I went to a church in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It was called Dayspring Foursquare. And uh, the, the pastor at the time there, his name was Steve Watt. And fun fact, for those who've been around a long time, you might know Steve Watt, right? Because he actually left our church, and he moved to Federal Way, Washington, and he became associate pastor under Steve Shell. And this, Steve Watt is the one who baptized me when I was 11. I got baptized in Lake Coeur d'Alene. It was freezing cold water. But this is just like a fun connection that I have to the church family here. And ever since I showed up, I've always felt like you are my family. And this is where God, God brought me. And I've, I've, just, I've always felt connected. Um, but it was the music and the worship 
that I, rem- I, I think you hear the gospel message that Jesus saves you, right? When, when you're in Sunday school, and there's all these ways that, that you begin to, you know, when you gather, to, that God ministers to you. And one of them was through worship. And for me, it was this old song. It was like I, I, I finally clicked in my mind, like, that Jesus saved me. And, and you guys know the song, Crown Me With Many Crowns? I think we've got the words. It goes, crown him with many crowns. If you know it, sing it, come The lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drown. All music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for me. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. One more, verse two, come on. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphs o'er the grave, and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glory now we sing. Who died and rose on high, who died in their life to bring and live that death may die. Man, I hope that 1130 sings as good as you guys. That, is, that was fantastic. But I can remember as a young child, the music touching me as I came to church, and I realized the message. It's like it clicked in my mind, right? Him who died for me, Right? Like over the grave, he conquered the grave. He triumphed over it for those he came to save. Eternal life, like this is forever. He saves us, you know, like he saved me. And this is, as we gather and we worship, that we encounter God. Here's the point of my story is, is uh, when, we, when we gather together, Matthew 18 says where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there, right? And, and, and your experience of encountering God, you know, might be different than mine or, or somebody else's, but the truth is it's the same God. It's the same God that changes all of our lives that we encounter. This is the same God in the Old Testament that, who, who parted the Red Seas and that has a powerful God. This is the same God who we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This, the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. He lives in you and me, the Bible says. And so we encounter this living God when we have our quiet time and when we read the Bible and when we're alone with Jesus. But something happens when the church comes together and we're going to read Read about this upper room. Something happens when the church comes together, guys, and we begin to worship. Something happens and it releases truth into you and it changes you and it transforms you and it, it grows your faith and it builds up hope in you that God can do the stuff he says he will do. The message of God for each of us is, is different, but he is the same God. So if you've got your Bibles, we are going to read the story from Mark 14. Uh, before we read, I'll just give some context of uh, what's going on um, to catch us up in the book of Mark where we've been. Uh, Passion Week starts with Sunday, Palm Sunday, right? If you've seen our kids' choir on Palm Sunday, they've come in carrying palm branches before. It's, it's awesome next week, I believe, Palm Sunday, that we're going to have palm. And so this is the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, where the people are singing Hosanna in the highest. This is, this is what happens on Palm Sunday. This is the first day of Passion Week. Jesus turned over the tables, right, in the temple, 
Jesus healed someone in the temple. This is what happened on Sunday. The next day, day two, Monday, Jesus cursed the fig tree on the way into Jerusalem. We've heard about this. It has a lot of symbolism. Um, the authorities came and they challenged Jesus. The Sadducees came and, and they tried, you know, theology. And, and, and the Pharisees came and they got a lawyer and they tried politics. And so, you know, Jesus was smarter than all of them. You know, he schooled them. This is what happens on Monday where, where G, and Jesus gives parables about two sons and talents and a wedding feast. And, 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 and he gives woes over Jerusalem. We read about those woes. And, and then he leaves Jerusalem um, and they go up to the Mount of Olives, and Pastor Ben spent two weeks in this part of the Passion Week, right, where he began to give his final public sermon, and he talked about end times things, right? And so we had two weeks of these end times, and he's standing on the Mount of Olives, and he's, he begins to, he, they're looking at the temple, and they're just like, wow, look at the scenery, look how great the temple is, and he says, every stone, no, not one stone will be left unturned. And, and then he goes on to give this Olivet Discord that we spent two weeks going over. And then last week, Pastor Ben gave us a sermon from the beginning of Mark 14. And he talked, he, I feel like he compared and contrasts Judas and the betrayal and Mary and, and her sacrifice of pouring the ointment over or the perfume over Jesus. And so this is the beginning of Mark 14. And can I just say that there's probably a whole sermon series here. There's, I mean, we've got, we've got like probably five, you know, maybe six sermons here. And, and so I just kind of want to summarize Mark 14 for us today before we talk about the upper room. But Mary poured out her perfume. Judas betrayed. We also have the last Passover, we could preach a whole sermon on what does it mean to have the last Passover and how Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, was entering Jerusalem when they were out looking for a spotless lamb to take to the temple to have it sacrificed for their Passover meal. We could talk about why it's the last Passover because Jesus is the last, he's the perfect one, right? The Lamb that no longer do we need a sacrifice for sin because Jesus' blood is precious. And so we could, I could preach a whole sermon around Passover and how Jesus fulfilled everything. And I, I could preach a sermon on the Lord's Supper and I could teach on communion. I actually started off preparing for this sermon thinking this is gonna be a sermon on communion. And I, I do wanna talk about uh, the elements this morning a little bit and worshiping with communion. But there's so much to communion. Uh, uh, there's a great website, uh, Israel, oneisrael.org. You can go there and they teach all about the kosher and the, the Seder meal and, and everything about it. I mean, there's, there's so much to communion. Books and books written on this. We could have a whole sermon on on the Lord's Supper. We could have a sermon on the Garden of Gethsemane. I've heard lots of sermons on the Garden of Gethsemane. Couldn't you stay awake with me for just one hour, right? He comes back three times and they keep falling asleep and how we need to stay awake, you know? I mean, I could, we could preach a sermon and I mean, they'll preach, right? On just the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the arrest of Jesus. Wow, I've heard some powerful sermons on the arrest of Jesus. And even as they came to Jesus and he spoke, they all just fell down because the power of God was so strong in that moment. And, and, and in Mark 14, if you read Mark 14, there's, there's, there's interesting details. And we could really look into everything that happened from the arrest to him going before the authorities and, and how he was fulfilling prophecy because he was silent like the lamb before the slaughter. And, and, and we could really look at every, all the details of his arrest and his accusations 
and what was really going on that they didn't realize. And lastly, Peter's denial. I mean, I think I've heard at least a dozen sermons on Peter's denial. I don't know. Have you? Have you heard sermons on Peter denying Jesus three times? And then we usually look at the rest of Peter's life and how God redeemed him. And so this is, I mean, there's so much here in Mark 14, you guys, that it's like, okay, can you preach Mark 14? I'm enthusiastic. I only get to come up here a few times a year. I'm like, yes, yes, I will. And then I read Mark 14, and I went, oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so as I prayed, and I was looking at the, the whole chapter, I felt like uh, the upper room was just a powerful encounter with Jesus, and it's the way that Jesus spent his last days before he went to the cross. And it's just a powerful thing that I want us to read and reflect on this morning. So if you're You're at Mark 14. We're going to pick it up here in verse 12. And you can follow along. We should have it behind me also. So verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. And get this, I was going to call my sermon this, I decided not to, but prepare for us there. Like that, we could just read past that, right? Prepare for us there. This idea that they needed to prepare, we're really going to look at that this morning. But the disciples, verse 16, the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Um, My first point for us today is preparing to gather with Jesus. Preparing to gather with Jesus. He said, prepare for us there. And so what does it take? What did it take for the disciples to prepare this place? The first thing that I just observed was that they had to trust God's direction. They had to trust that what God was saying was actually going to happen. And how many times have they had to trust Jesus in the past, right? Like how many times did he give them some instructions and they had to go forward and carry those things out, hoping that God's word of knowledge and his word of wisdom would be words that would actually come true. You know, go find this uh, full of a donkey, you know, this this colt and go just untie it and just bring it and I'll I'll ride in on it. Like, like, you know, that actually like happened, you know, or, or Peter or comes to Jesus, we need to pay the taxes and he says, hey, go, go fishing. <laughs> you know, you're going to catch a fish and you're going to find money in it so you can pay the tax. Like, can, can you imagine if, the, if we were told, someone gave us a prophetic word today and they said, hey, Aaron, you know, oh, you don't owe taxes and you got no money? Okay, well, you know, you need to go down to Brown's Point and you need to throw a line in. You're going to catch a fish and God's going to give you your back taxes and it's gonna be it's gonna be in the mouth of the fish. You'd be like, what is going on? This is a you know. But they he, Peter did this, and he and this this trusting God. It you know like it happened because they had done it time and time again. God was faithful to them as they trusted Him. We know in this story, I said it was Peter. We know it's Peter because Luke's gospel actually fills us in on that. Uh, you know the the disciples who. 
are like the ones authoring or, or, or writing the gospel, they never like to give their names very much. Like the book of John, right? Like the disciple whom he loved. You know, that was John, you know? And well, Mark is, is thought of to be Peter's and it's the least named disciple in the book of Mark. And so, but we know from Luke's gospel, thank you, Luke, that it was Peter and John that he asked to go prepare. And so I'm, that's why I'm thinking like Peter had these encounters of trusting God and, and carrying them out. But why a, why a man carrying a pitcher of water? Um, I was reading some, some background on this, and, and men typically didn't do the water fetching in their culture. It was the women. So I was like, well, there could have been 100 men carrying pitchers of water. It's Jerusalem. This is a busy town, you know? And so that would have stood out to them, and they would have seen this man, and they would have followed him. And how would this guy just have this room prepared? Like, how did this happen? Well, Jesus said, tell him the teacher. <laughs> you know, like, so this guy who owned this house apparently saw Jesus as an authority, as a rabbi, as someone who he had saw teach and maybe perform miracles. And maybe he had a personal encounter himself to where he gave this open invitation to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, everyone's trying to find a place during Passover, but I got a really good place. It can hold up to like 120 people. I got you covered. I, will hold, I won't give that out to anybody else. You just, you know, I got this open invitation. And so when they came and said, the teacher wants to know where this room is, you know, I'm sure I'm taking some liberties here on what I'm seeing, but I'm just asking myself, why would they say the teacher? It says, where's my room. And so uh, we can see that this could have been how th they got this upper room. The disciples had this word from Jesus and they trusted him. Jesus uh, told them to do all these things. And I was, I was just thinking like, um, like the times Jesus has asked me to do things and how you know, like faith sometimes is just giving God what you got, you know, you just like, hey, and you just take a small step of trusting God. And, you know, and sometimes we think faith is like cliff jumping, you know, anyone ever gone cliff diving, you like jumped into, I said cliff diving this morning and someone, I said jumping and someone didn't realize I meant into water, but like I'm from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And if you ever go visit Coeur d'Alene, you can go to Tubbs Hill and they got these big rocks and you jump into the water and it's really fun. And I remember the first time I ever did it, I was like, okay, you go first. <laughs> and then you watch people do it. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And you get all excited and you're going to jump off and you'll go, oh, actually I can get closer to the water. So you get, you know, oh, there's actually, oh, I'm going to get here. Okay. Now I'm going <laughs> to, nope, I'm not going to go. And you know, and the, but the, you get really, you get really close and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you might wait like an hour. It might take like an hour just standing up there and people are like, oh, come on, you just go. And, and eventually you just, just take a leap of faith, right? You jump and, and you jump and you go and, and, and it takes faith. But then maybe the second and the third time is a little bit easier because you didn't die, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it was okay. And so it's like taking steps of faith and trusting God is, is this thing that like we got to remember his faithfulness. Remember the times that we didn't die. <laughs> Remember the times that he was good to us. Remembering that he is trustworthy. Sometimes we just need to trust him. And, and we're talking about an encounter with God and preparing a place to gather with Jesus. And, and as we trust God's direction, he will prepare for us an encounter with him. They, they had no clue what this upper room was going to be. They didn't realize how significant it was going to be. But they were just being faithful and doing what God told them to do. So like preparing a place to gather, sometimes it's just doing very natural things, things that we can do, natural steps, right? 
go find this place and prepare a meal. You need to go cook. And they didn't realize what was the supernatural implications and the things that would happen down the road in this place by just taking by doing very natural things that have like a supernatural undercurrent to it. And sometimes, so that's, that's really big. <laughs> like they didn't realize it, but this meal that they were going to have was going to institute something that, that would go on and on for, for years and ways that we can worship God. Um, I was asked to, or I wasn't asked to, I, um, the Lord, the Lord like led us to move from Idaho to Puyallup, Washington. And that was like one of those big leaps of faith, <laughs> you know, cause we've got no family here, no friends really here. Uh, we had one couple that we knew from, uh, from before, but taking this this leap of faith and trusting God to move away from all of your securities was, was scary. And, uh, and I had contingency plans. I just got to be honest. I, I had like, if things go bad, I'm going to tail between my legs and run back to Idaho. Like, you know, like uh, I was just super, super worried about it, but it took, it took faith and it wasn't like this supernatural, like, you know, God with me, like through everything I did, I just had a word from God, a word of direction that he gave me. And he gave them a word of direction, go prepare this meal. And there's lots of just real natural things that we had to do to take these steps of faith. And so when we do our part, we got to trust that God is doing his part. And can I tell you, like God had a plan. It was a good plan, and, and his plan unfolded as I trusted him, and I took these very natural steps of faith for what he was doing. And, and it was coming to Northwest Church. Like, I never thought I would be, you know, a pastor on staff here, and I, never, I didn't see this. I didn't see what God was doing. I just knew that God said, I want you to move over here. There was a job opportunity, and we felt like it was from the Lord. So when we do our part, we can, dr- we can trust that God is doing more than we can ask, think, or imagine. He really is. Even when we're just, we're just given a natural task, like, hey, go to Jerusalem, find a guy, find a pl- this upper room that will be, fir- you know, prepare the meal. Sometimes there is, God, you do not realize as you're preparing to gather with Jesus, we're preparing this way to gather with Jesus, some of the very natural things. And so I was thinking about as we gather as a church, like the very natural things that we do just to prepare to come to church, you know, like don't, don't brush those things off. Like, you know, but like we need to prepare. We need to, we need to take these very natural steps to get ready to come to gather with Jesus. Um, and part of that is setting aside a place. The upper room was set aside to, to encounter Jesus. Jesus would have the last Passover meal in this room. They would worship together. They would encounter the resurrected Jesus in the same room. This, this upper room is where they were when Jesus, they were behind locked doors, came in and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the same room that they would pray for 10 days and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come on them and there would be tongues of fire. This is the same place that when Peter was in prison, they would be praying and they, he would come to that house and say, hey, you know, where they prayed and the prison doors were shaken and opened. This, is, this upper room was a place of encounter. They encountered God as this was the last, this is where Jesus washed their feet, right? 
Like, this is where he showed them, like, you must, you know, this, you must let me do this. Um, this upper room was a, was a powerful place that they set aside. And so as I was reading this, preparing to gather with Jesus, we have to actually set aside place to encounter him. And one of the things that we do here around Northwest Church is we pre- have pre-service prayer in the chapel, and then we have Wednesday night service in here. And, and the first Wednesday of every month, we fast and we pray, and we have these prodigal prayer boxes where if you know someone who's not following Jesus or who is far from God, we, 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 we write those names down on these cards, and we put their names in the box, and we're contending to see God move. And this, this place that we've set aside, it's it is just a building. The church is the people, but there's something special when we set aside a place and, and, and we say, no, God, this is your house. Like this is, this is for you, God. This is where we want to encounter you and we seek you. And, and I mean, the upper room, you know, this is a place they encounter God. And, and, and then we think about they prayed for 10 days and then what happened in, in Acts 2, right? They end up leaving and going out to uh, the temple area and Peter stood up and 3,000 people said they got cut to the heart when he preached, right? And they were saved. Like, this is a massive evangelical encounter that they, that from a prayer meeting, <laughs> from a place that they set aside, and they, would, they were seeking God. I want to be a church, and I, I think we are. I think we are a church that sets aside this sanctuary as a place to encounter God. We want to encounter the living God. We, we, we've had weekends of healing, and we have Wednesday night where we're, we are do, we're teaching ministry, and we're praying, and after every service, we always open this up for people to come forward and get ministered to. If you've never met Jesus, and you, know, you, you, don't, you're, you don't call him your Lord and Savior, you've never been water baptized, we got the, the tank filled one more time in the month of March to see people who want to get baptized, to see him be baptized. We want this to be a place where people encounter God. And so as we prepare, we have to prepare. And I just, I can't, it's like that just jumped out of me as we read that. He said, prepare for us there. Prepare for us there. And I think that as our church family, this is our place. <laughs> this is our place of worship. This is our place of communion. This is our place where we pray. And we need to, we need to prepare to gather with Jesus by trusting him, by doing our part, however simple it may seem. We need lots of people to serve here at Northwest Church. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, This isn't a plug for all, of our, all the ways to serve, but man, we, 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 we need children's ministry. We need youth leaders. We need people to greet and usher. We need security people out in the parking lot. We need, we need pe- this is our church family, and, and we need to set this place aside for people to come to know Jesus. <laughs> like, like I'm standing up here. I don't usually stand up here, but it's interesting because I see open seats, and I just long for the day where it's like we're bursting at the seams, you know? We talk about revival, and we don't just want numbers of people to come so we have people, but we pray this in the prayer room. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to, we, the, church, the house of God, we should be excited to gather together. There should be excitement in us when Sunday's coming, you know, or Wednesday, if you can make Wednesday nights, when Wednesday's coming, because we get to worship together. Like something happens when we worship together. Like the, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. When we're singing, sometimes it's, you know, it's to an audience of one, and we're all singing to Jesus together. We're all singing to the Father. But something happens ministering one to another, because there is importance in going and 
closing your door behind you and praying to your Father and seeking and having a quiet time with the Lord where you just spend time with Jesus, where there's worship that's only for Jesus. And there's time where you're just reading your Bible, not because it's a Bible reading plan, but it's just because you want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And there's times for that. There's times where we need this personal, intimate relationship with God because that really has transformed my life as I seek to know him and I, I discipline my body into submission that to, to follow him and trust him. But something powerful happens, you guys, when we come together as the church and, 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 and encountering God. And, and I just, I couldn't help but to see this. God wants us to prepare like they prepared. This, this, this way that they prepared, this is the story of the Passion Week. Jesus would go and be betrayed and be arrested and go before the Sanhedrin and then go to the cross. And so many times Jesus went to go be alone, right? Jesus went off to be alone to spend time with the Father and praying. And so he taught us that. But how did he spend his last hours? That's just really telling to me. How did Jesus spend his last hours? He wanted to be with those he loved. He wanted to be with those he was discipling. He wanted to be with those to worship and to pray and to take communion. And they didn't even know what communion was. And in this morning, communion, just to, to read on, we can pick up in verse 22. It says, while they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup, he gave thanks and he gave it to them and they drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant. Other gospels say new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I'll never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom. This element here that we take together when we do communion once a month together, right? And we read from Corinthians, um, and I'll read that here in a second. But like, this was unleavened bread that they would, the Passover meal was the start of the festival of unleavened bread where they would not eat leavened bread for, uh, for a whole week and they would celebrate. And they were reminding themselves of the suffering that happened in Egypt because they had to make bread before they fled Egypt and it didn't have time to rise. So they had this unleavened bread that they took with them. And so this is why they would eat unleavened bread because of the suffering that happened in Israel. But Jesus reinterpreted the bread in himself not for the suffering of Israel, but that he took on the sins of the world, that he was a sin-bearing suffering on their behalf. And he held this up. And this wasn't the first time that he referenced bread and his body, right? There was one time he just, the crowd just, just flee, right? He said, you have no part of me if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowds were like, oh, I'm out of here. You know, like, so the disciples are like, where else will we go? You alone have the words of life, you know? And John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, I was reading uh, in my Bible, my Bible devotionals, and he did the, the miracle of feeding 5,000. And, uh, and then these guys, and then he gets in a boat and goes to Capernaum, right? And then there's these two guys that are like, hey, that's the guy who's handing out free bread. <laughs> let's go, let's go check. You know, can you imagine if there's a guy in the park handing out $100 bills, you know, you'd be like, and then you see him later, you know, in another town, you'd be like, hey, that's the dude who's handing out $100 bills. And they go up to Jesus and he says, you came to me because I filled your stomach with barley loaves, but I have, I have food, I have bread that will give eternal life. 
<laughs> That's what he says to them. So Jesus has been talking about how he is the bread of life way before communion is instituted. And here is this Passover meal that is a very Jewish custom ceremony, and they're eating unleavened bread. And Jesus reinterprets this element. He lifts it up and he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he, he held up the wine, we have juice, stable shelf juice, but it's juice, and he held up a cup. He held up the what so many people, if you study the Seder meal, they had these different wines that they would drink throughout the meal. Everything in the Seder meal and this Passover type meal was very ceremonial, and they would they would say different things to remind them of all the things that happened as they the 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 Passover, if you've never read Exodus, right, is they had to take a spotless lamb with no blemish and they would sacrifice it and they would put the blood on the doorpost. And the, the angel of death would pass over that house because the final curse against Egypt was the firstborns. Would, if, let my people go or the firstborns are going to be taken. God is going to kill the firstborns. But the Passover meal is to remind them of the blood of the lamb and how God passed over them. And Jesus holds up this cup. And a lot of theologians believe this was after the meal was over. They would hold up the third cup of the Seder meal and it was a cup of suffering. It was a cup for redemption. And so he holds up this and he says, this is the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about this new covenant. You can read about it in Hebrews 8. And they talk about how the old covenant is fulfilled with the new covenant. And the old one is obsolete. And we don't need the old covenant of goats and bulls being sacrificed because Jesus, we have Jesus. And Jesus is greater than the old covenant and today, when we gather once a month and we take communion, we read, and I think we've got the slide, we've got Hebrews, or we've got 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received that from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and we give thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. So we can see the same story in Mark. We see Paul, this is a, it's been instituted that the church should take this to remember that Jesus gave his body for us. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. See, see that language there, after supper? That many people think that's because this was the Seder meal. After supper, he took this cup and he said, this is my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have communion on these tables on the side of the sanctuary, and they're always on the back of the, of the sound booth as you come in. I want to encourage you, as we gather in this place, we've set aside this place to worship, right? We're preparing to encounter God. A, a powerful way that we can, we can look at the story in Mark 14 is that they, they did this to remember, and then the church carried this on. And now thousands of years later, we still do this to remember what Jesus did. And if you're, you know, worship should be like authentic, right, from your heart. And it should be intimate with Jesus. And it should be a passionate thing. And if you're feeling a little dry when you come in the house of God, can I encourage you to grab communion. And like David said, Lord, search me and know me. Find anything in me that's not good, God. That, like just we're wanting a clean heart. 
We're wanting to be to, to get right with the Lord. Just this reminds us of what Jesus did, and it'll change you. <laughs> You'll begin to thank God, and thanksgiving will begin to flow out of you. And and then and then as we're sitting, it's always available. I just encourage you during worship, just take some communion. Maybe it's even before it's, before it starts, like church starts. Take communion. Maybe it's during worship. Take communion. But as we gather, I just want to encourage you, like. We have communion available, and, and, and some, some people believe, in Corinthians it says, when they gathered. So, so some churches, I've been to churches where it's every Sunday we take it together, and that's a very serious thing. For years, our tradition has been once a month we take it together, but we always want to make it available because there's a powerful thing that happens when you remember what Jesus did, and this is a way that they hung out and fellowship together and worship together in the upper room. They, 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 they realized that and they, in, that Jesus was instituting this new covenant symbol that could remind us of what Jesus did for us. <clears throat> the last thing that they did before they went to the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane, Mark 14, 26, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's such a short verse. And if you're just reading through Mark, I think you can just, just blow right past that verse. Like, but the upper room, the night before Jesus would go and, and be betrayed, like, he was singing. He was singing songs. These songs in the Passover, they were very traditional. They would sing Psalm 113 through 118. And as I read those psalms, I read them again this morning. Here's a few things that, that, are, that they sang. Just a few statements in those psalms. The snare of death encompassed around me. Can you imagine this is, Jesus is singing this and how this ministers to him? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. I shall not die, but I shall live, they sang. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, Psalms 118. Like, do we sing that today, right? Like, the cornerstone, like Jesus... Is, knows what he's going to do. And in Gethsemane, it says that he, he actually sweat blood. Like he, this was a stressful thing that he was going to have to do. Like, like some people think that it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It was not easy for Jesus to go to the cross. And the last hours he spent with those he loved worshiping and breaking bread and, and communion and, and praying. And they go to the garden and they pray. And when we gather with others, who love God, I just I, I think we need to be people who who just come and prepare to trust God, to worship God. Sometimes you'll be ministering to others around you you don't even know as you're just singing to Jesus. And they sang these songs and they will minister to you as you come to church. They're gonna minister to other people. Um, something that I think that's powerful as a as someone who's led worship for years is uh, when we sing scripture. <laughs> You know, I love it when we sing songs that are full of just the truth and the scripture and the word of God. It just, it does something, right? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And sometimes when we're singing it and we hear other people singing who God is and what he's done, it just, it ministers to us. It ministers to what he's doing. And so worshiping, they worshiped into what, what laid ahead of them. Jesus worshiped his way into his crucifixion. And as we prepare ourselves, we need to worship our way into the things that God is, has in front of us. 
whether it's suffering, whether it's mountaintop experience, whatever it is, the mission of God that he has for you and I, we need to be people who are worshipers. Worship doesn't just mean singing, right? But we need to be people who will proclaim the name of God and, and, and declare his name and come together to, to break bread and connect after service. If you, if you just leave after church, I want to encourage you, like, Break bread with people. We're serving pizza today. Go eat some pizza. Hang out with people. Fellowship because God will minister to you through, through community. He will. God will minister to you, you know, as you come into this place. And, and we're going to have ministry time where you can be prayed for and you can be ministered to and, and God can, can meet you. We've seen people healed in worship. As reports have come into us that just during worship when we're singing, I was healed. I'm like, if that doesn't raise your faith up a little bit, I I don't know who I will because God is a God who heals. And and just as we gather together, he he comes and he inhabits the praises of his people. And this is the same God, the same God that did miracles, the same God that will meet us today. It's the same God that will change us and it'll, it'll make us new. We need each other. We need each other. We need to gather together. We need to be excited to come to the house of God. We need this to be something that we long to do. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if, if we began to prepare to meet Jesus? <laughs> they prepared, right? They prepared to this upper room. And they prepared this meal. Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody who came here was preparing to encounter God? I believe we would encounter God. Can you imagine if we began taking communion every week? We might have to buy more communion. <laughs> we, might need to, we might need to put a special order in because everyone's going to start taking communion every week. Can you imagine the freedom that's going to come to people as people begin to turn to look to Jesus? There's going to be freedom. Can you imagine as we begin to trust God, right? They had to trust God in, 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 a, in, in what they did by setting up the upper room, Right? letting go of maybe some church hurt. I, as pastors, we, we talk to people all the time, and there's, there's lots of reasons we get for why I, I didn't, why I'm not going to church or why I'm not going to church regularly, why I don't love my church or why I'm not excited to be together. And I, a lot of times I feel like there, there's things that have happened in our past and there's wounds in us and there's hurt and there's misconceptions and, and we become, become, become critical. But like, as, can you imagine what it would be like if we begin to prepare ourselves just to be used by God, to worship God, that you're going to minister to people. God's going to give you prophetic words to turn to your neighbor and encourage them and edify them and build them up. And it's going to be something that they need so that God can heal them and free them as we prepare ourselves to gather. As we do our part and let God do his part. I want to I I close the service by, by just inviting you into um, this, inviting you into uh, encountering God. We, we open up our, 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 the front of our church, whether it's an altar or not. We've called it altar ministry over years, but, but this is just a place, and that we're saying that this is a place we want to prepare for people to receive ministry, to receive prayer. If you've never 
accepted Jesus into your life and you don't even know what that means, but like you want to know God. You want more of God in your life. You want to encounter this God we're talking about, the God who can do the, do the things that, that are, seem impossible, but you've heard testimonies. And so you came to church today because someone was talking about Jesus and, and you're like, man, I, I, I want to be saved. And you don't even know what that means, but like you want to know God, like God will meet you. He will encounter you and you can start a relationship with Jesus today. You can, we'll pray with you. We'll, we'll introduce you to the guy who changed my life. He's changed a lot of our lives. We'll introduce you to Jesus. We'll give you a Bible. We'll pray with you. We'll lead you in a prayer and just come forward. So if that's you after church, I want to encourage you, come forward. Don't don't just leave. Come forward and get prayer and and ask questions. We want you to know Jesus, the Jesus that many of us in this room know and we love and we serve. He is a good God. And maybe there's some, some of you in the room that you've been holding back and you've just been holding back something because of disappointment, because of offense or some hurt or something that's going on and you've really held back over the years and and we pray that God would, would, would bring a revival to our church that those things that were that are dead will come back to life that first love will come back to life in us that we'd be excited and have a passion and a zeal for the name of Jesus and if you're like I don't know if I'm passionate or zeal about Jesus anymore I just want to tell you I've been there church I've been there I've lost my passion and zeal before but we want a minute we want to pray for you Maybe you're dealing with something, you know, physical and you need healing. Maybe it's something emotional and you need healing. Like, don't leave today without getting ministered to. Like, like just like the upper room became this place of prayer and encounter with God, we want this to be a place that you can encounter God this morning. We want fellowship in the gym to be a place you can encounter with other people. And so just as we pray and as I close the service this morning, I, I want to encourage you to come forward. And also we have water baptisms. <laughs> We're going to do water baptisms at the end of every month from now on. But this is the last week we're opened up for spontaneous baptisms. And if you are like, man, I want everyone to know that I'm going to follow Jesus. We've got shorts. We've got t-shirts. We've got undergarments. And we've got towels. We've got everything you need. And we've got a pastor. We've got a pastor who's going to, going to, going to tell you what it's about. And he's going to dunk you. And, and so th- this is what we believe is an outward symbol of something Jesus is doing in your heart. So if you feel like baptism is something that you have been holding off on because you're not sure. It says be baptized. It's our first step of obedience. So I want to encourage you that if today's the day for you and you feel like you need to be baptized, come forward and receive prayer. But I'm just going to close this in prayer and pray over us a blessing today and just that God would, this will be our place of encounter. This will be our upper room that this would be a place that is set aside where we're preparing for, to encounter God. So if you pray with me. Father, thank you, God, for Northwest Church. Thank you, God, that you established this property way before most of us were even here, God. That you knew before that this would be a place where people would get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and encounter you, Jesus. And so, God, we're praying, God, that you would keep doing it, that you do it again, that, that many would come to know you, Jesus. God, we're praying over Easter services, God, that this would be a place of encounter where many would get saved and come to know you and be in a personal relationship with you. God, where they realize that they're sinful and and they need a savior and that you're the one who saves, that you save us, God. Lord, we're praying that this would be a place of encounter for people to be healed. God, we pray for healing right now over brokenness and over wounds and that offenses would be, that people would be freed from the things the enemy has been sowing into their lives, that those things would be gone now, that no strategy of the enemy would prosper. 
God, we thank you for what you're doing in our church family, God. We thank you for connect after service. And God, I pray that we'd run out of pizza this morning, God, because more people stay and, and fellowship. And, and so, God, we pray that people will be baptized this morning, God, and people will come to, to give their lives to you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God. And, and we pray, God, you would bless every single one of us. God, that you would smile down upon your church and your people this morning, God. That you would give us peace. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written. 